today's Bible passage is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. His divine power that has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's nice to, to see you and to be with you today, uh, in person and also virtually. Um, in uh, three Sundays, we're going to have a guest speaker, Reverend McPeer, uh, share a message with us in person. So I thought we would try a, a short series uh, this time around, just two sermons on uh, these verses from Second Peter 1. You may be familiar with this passage uh, from other Bible studies or through personal reading, but uh, it is so conceptually and practically dense. Um, I think looking at them again, can be conducive uh, to spiritual growth. Uh, indeed, if I had to name a theme um, for this short series, it'd probably be progress or growth. Um, but I'm going to venture a slight twist uh, to it and offer growth <laughs> with a question mark. Growth? Uh, and I couch it this way because I think the COVID pandemic uh, with all of its worries about masking and isolating and lockdown and vaccining one and two and then reopenings and reclosings and vaccine three and ooh, uh, rinse repeat, um, all the attendant questions and burdens, uh, I think it kind of feels hard to focus mo much on spiritual growth. Uh, it seems to have thrown everything uh, out of whack. How can we grow when so many of our activities and freedoms are curtailed uh, by constant anxiety and uncertainty that permeate our current time in the world uh, and history? Uh, of course, some of the best growth can take place in times of greatest adversity. But the pandemic um, is so pervasive and disorienting, it's hard to know where to bear down let alone how to make advancement through it. Who has time to tend to niceties of spiritual progress when we are awash in worries about kids, or our kids merely going to school, uh, whether we'll be able to make uh, our next rent check, or whether we might get accosted or bludgeoned on the subway because of the color of our skin, the shape of our eyes, or whether we're wearing a face covering or not. Of course, not everything is so grim, but it's grim enough. So to focus on spiritual life may seem uh, kind of a luxury that few can afford. And I think it shows. 
some of the intensity and desire that in the past we would have easily uh, displayed or towards spiritual life, or at least were able to readily renew, it seems harder to come by. Now we have to push ourselves to spend our devotion time with God. We have to make big plans to get together with fellow believers or play dates for our kids, or even think about spiritual health for that matter. We kind of feel ragged all the time, even if we are not quantifiably doing all that much more. So understandably, there's this kind of gravitational pull uh, to either physically, emotionally, or relationally stay pet, kind of lower our anchors, dig our heels in. Because it seems not only the safe thing to do, but the sensible response to a shifting terrain and choppy waters. But something um, that I, for one, uh, tend to forget uh, is that despite uh, the I unique historical situation we find ourselves in, so much of the Bible was written during the social upheaval and uncertainty. Uh, the biblical writers uh, were addressing people who were facing subsistence challenges, national collapse, or cultural devolution, probably the majority uh, of their lives. Uh, Mona was on a, uh, a, a tour of the North Atlantic once, and uh, she was in Estonia, and she heard the tour guide say the, the local joke was that every morning you had to look at the flagpole to see who was ruling that day, because there's so much you know, political change in, in that country. Uh, people in the Bible faced many unknowns and injustices and craziness, maybe just in a different form than we do, but with similar intensity and bewilderment. And yet, the exhortations and challenges and encouragements to prioritize spiritual growth and progress never flagged. Now, there was a, Nobody gave up on that in the Bible. Just because things were hard, the writers did not hold back in telling us the importance of giving God all of ourselves and making use of the power and grace that he has shown us. I'm not trying to say just suck it up or keep our noses to the grindstone. I am saying that no matter what is going on in our personal and collective lives, the invitation and responsibility to give our spiritual lives due attention uh, always seem to be in play. Okay, so with that in mind, let's try to unpack what Apostle Peter is saying to his flock back in the late first century. Let me start with my title, Everything or Every Effort. Uh, it points to an apparent contradiction, I think, in verses three and verse, verse three and verse five. So verse three says, His divine power has given us everything uh, we need for life and godliness. But verse 5 says, for this very reason, make every effort to add. Right? Verse 3 says God gave everything, and verse 5 says, well, kind of maybe he didn't. We have to add something uh, to it. Hence, uh, everything or every effort. Which is it? Well, to give away the answer uh, right away, <laughs> which you probably already figured out uh, by now, it's both. 
It's God giving us everything and us making every effort. And in my mind, it's not really a linear thing. It's not like God does this in the beginning and the rest is up. Is up. It's a constant interplay, right? It's both and it's dual agency is a fancy word for it or term for it. It's God's supplying and enabling everything, but it's also us applying and then striving to make every effort. It's not just God with us just sitting here soaking in all of his doing, all doings, although sometimes that is the case, nor is it our solo striving and driving with God seemingly nowhere to be found, although it, sometimes it may seem so. It's a tandem. It's a choreography. It's a duet, if you will. God gives gifts, and we open them. We work at it, and God always works in us. God creates the potential, and we actualize it. It's a blessed partnership. One-sided in the sense that God's sovereign power ultimately makes it all happen, but there is real participation on our end. It's a covenant. Uh, again, one-sided in that God graciously supplies all the terms and promises, but a covenant that necessitates our real faithfulness. Okay, so it's both everything and um, every effort. So to me, uh, I immediately ask, well, why does God design Christian life that way? Why do that? Why not God just do everything perfectly and um, comprehensively for us? Or just let us sink or swim, kind of just leave the ball in our court on our own. What types of possible rationale might be offered? Uh, for the remainder of the sermon, I'd like to offer one for us to consider. I, I submit that God designed it this way because God values his relationship with us above all. That's why he made it everything and every effort. Because he wants to be in a living, active relationship with us. It's my contention that what God ultimately desires from us is not necessarily godliness or moral excellence. Although they are very important and the direction that he steers us toward. I think if God wanted us to be godly and holy, and that was the final goal, he could grant that. He could do that in just one fell swoop. Poof, you're holy. Poof, you're, you're morally excellent. I don't think that's beyond God's power if that was his primary goal. Now, God does want to see holiness from us. We are going to be refined in the fire. But he desires us to get there through a steady and vibrant relationship with him. Yeah. In other words, relationship is king. Relationship with God is the key. Now, I've read an, uh, you know, in the commentaries like analogies that are offered. It's like This is like a... You can think of a seed, right? A tiny little seed. In it, there's so much packed in there, right? The potential and what it can become and grow. So God is, gives us the seed of faith or the seed of the Christian life. We plant it. We water it. We tend to it. We prune it. And we you know, bear fruit. We, 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 we have a harvest. That, that's helpful, right? Another one is like, uh, think of God as a benefactor 
who desires to educate someone, maybe who doesn't have much money or means, and so God provides, this benefactor provides a full scholarship, a full ride. But it's the student who has to work hard and persevere to finish the, the degree. So it's a, both an enablement and an achievement. My analogy is that it's like an iPhone. <laughs> right? You get an iPhone and you think you understand it, but then you realize you don't understand it and you have to like go on Google and figure out all these kinds of little tricks and tips and, and things that are hidden, right? You have to, there's so much to be discovered or developed, right? Like you have to read BGR or Inc or Mashable to, to get all the secret tips that only those guys understand and, and figure out for us. So these are kind of typical explanations for this kind of everything plus every effort. But I want to take it in a, in, a, in a different, I think a slightly different uh, tack, right? Because I don't think they quite capture Peter's main point. God is too relational for just that kind of plop provision and then leaving us be. He does what he does because he supremely loves us. Love is not merely goal-oriented. Right? Love cares about the process. Right? It's the journey. It's the relationship. It's how you get there in addition to where you get to, in other words. Right? And with God, that process involves dependence. It, it involves interaction, it involves uh, delay sometimes, it can be painstaking, it can defy logic. But I think it's more important to God that we draw relationally closer to Him through the process than necessarily arrive at certain endpoints or certain metrics. We see that in uh, Jesus's arguably clumsy discipleship pattern with the 12 disciples, 12 apostles he chose, right? Including Peter, the author of this epistle. Jesus not just wave his hand and bestow upon them special abilities and knowledge. No, he lived with them for three years. He talked with them and he asked them questions. He ate and drank and traveled with them. Jesus showed them. He corrected them. He commissioned them. Jesus empowered them through an extended love and trust relationship, right? Yeah, it took three years for them to get where they needed to go. And that was just as important as where they arrived, is what I'm saying. Uh, the same can be said of Abraham. God delayed the birth of Isaac for 25 years after making the first promise to Abraham. In my mind, at any time during that period, God could have brought about Isaac's birth, right? It was a miracle that Sarah was able to bear children at that age. It was at, at age 90, it was still a miracle at age 65, right? Or any time in between. But Abraham and Sarah needed 25 years of relationship building and walking with God to be the father of what? Not only Isaac, but the father of many nations and indeed the father of faith or, faith, or the faithful. Accord the Israelites 40 years of wandering in the desert. When Sinai, I'm sorry, Canaan, as the crow flies, was one week away from, from Egypt. What could have been what could have been taken place and transpired in one week took 40 years. Just, just, just think about those numbers. Right? God was capable of zapping all enemies, foreign and domestic, that stood in the way of Moses and the Israelites. But that's not what God wanted. It was more important that Israel learn to love God for who he was rather than what he could give and do. Although what God gives and does is part of who he is. Now, God is not just some huge supply store, right? 
where you go and get unlimited free supplies and then you know, do it yourself the rest of the way. God is uh, more truly uh, like an above and beyond consultant, right? At Lowe's or Home Depot. Right? I read an interesting article comparing those two companies. And if you have interest, talk to me after service. Um, he, he comes to you or she comes to you when you come to the store and they walk you through what you need, tell you which materials and brands are the best fit, help you get the store credit card with a 10% discount, and then may even, even come to your place and help you install something. God wants to be this hands-on uh, in our lives. So Christian growth is not DIY, right? It's DWTS, Dancing with the Spirit. Sorry. Okay. Getting back to Second Peter, uh, verse 3 tells us that God starts us off with a gracious grant of everything we might need uh, to live a blessed Christian life. Now, this is due to his glory and goodness, but the form, if I could use that word, that everything comes in is not automatic or mechanistic. We need help figuring out how to work things. And so God makes himself available to mentor and guide us. Verse 4 says something interesting, uh, at least to me. It says that, through these, he has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Peter uses the phrase, very great and precious promises, promises, promises. The idea of promise is replete in the Bible. Right? God deploys promises, one, to give assurance and hope to his people of a better future. But two, he utilizes promises to teach us trust and patience. Right? Think about that. Promise is something that you have to wait for, something you have to think about, anticipate, maybe even prepare for. Right? Why can't God give it to me right now? He can, but he doesn't. So he, he, he interacts with us. He, the dynamic between us and him is often through uh, this vehicle of promises. God does not just want to get things done for us. He wants us to learn and wait and pray and depend and even get frustrated and not taken for granted. God wants our entire lives to be experiences of his faithful fulfillment of all the promises that he has made. Again, the actual promises are less important than the promiser, the promisor, however you want to pronounce it. So viewed in this way, I think uh, Christian growth can take on new meaning and desirability. It's less about the difficulty, less about the task, less about the, the, the requ requirement or how much effort it always seems to take. It's about a high calling. It's about a privilege to experience God firsthand, to be partners with God. Uh, we get a front row seat to see how the fulfillment of his promises can unfold before our very eyes. It's to, it's to be an apprentice to the master. It's to learn from the best, less results-oriented and more God-centered, more relational. And that's how I actually interpret the term divine nature, participating in the divine nature. It's also from verse 4, right? Uh, it's a fascinating but fraught concept. What does it mean to participate in the divine nature? Uh, it's not very likely that it means that we somehow participate in God's own essence, 
his divine essence. Um, I think you know most scholars say it refers to the fact that our lives become eternal and incorruptible when we follow uh, God, right? Follow Jesus. Actually, many uh, commentators uh, opine that the author of the epistle is actually alluding to a, a Greek philosophical idea, because most of Peter's listeners were Greek, or readers were Greek, um, which held that a, a soul can take divine dimensions. So Paul was using this idea to kind of as a touch point to help uh, his Greek believers better understand Christian sanctification. Because the Greeks held that humanity already had a share in the divine nature um, by, by dint of being human, whereas Christianity uh, says that we can only participate in the divine because of the justifying work of Christ on the cross. So what Jesus did in atoning us uh, is to take our fallen nature and redeem us, transforming that nature in the process uh, so that we become new creation. So the early church father, Irenaeus, famously put it, he became what we are to make us what he is. Okay, He became what we are to make us what he is. Which kind of makes us think about the question was, when do we partake of the divine nature? Some believe that it's at the point of conversion. Others think it's more at the consummation or the eschatological prospect, so when we die or when Jesus comes back. So when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, right, the divine nature appears in terms of imperishability, incorruptibility, immortality. But uh, if I may, I want to look at the participation in the divine nature more relationally. I don't want us to focus on something like, am I going to become superhuman? Right? Because I have the, I'm participating in the divine nature. Am I going to gain or possess something that's you know divine of God, and only of God? So the theologian uh, Jonathan Edwards once said against this idea of divinization, he says we are not going to we're not godded with God or Christed with Christ. So I want to say that we partake, i.e., enter and enjoy the amazing divine nature of God in an intimate relationship of love. That, that means to participate in the divine nature as I'm reading it. That means have a relationship, a real relationship with God, the deity, the divine, the supreme, the one, the origin, right? the master, the king, you know, the creator. Uh, and that's heady enough by itself. So the emphasis that I'm trying to make is that God chooses to unpack his full promises to us over time. He's not about power. Okay, well, yes, God is. But it's more secondary, in my view. He's more about love. And love sometimes is slow. It's strenuous uh, to discern. It requires trust and a lot of humble learning and intensive knowing. But it's well worth it because we are participating in the divine nature. We get to walk with the living God and we improve our moral character to boot. Right? More on that next week. And I think the relational view also helps us 
appreciate why it says we need to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If you look at that relationally, what, you're, what we're saying is that because evil desires are incompatible with God, that's why we need to eschew them. That's why we need to avoid them. That's why we need to rid them out of our lives. Because it, 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 that's what is uh, primary. It's not about restrictions and prohibitions, do's and don'ts. It's about pleasing God. Right? It's easier to give up things when we are motivated by love. Right? In a marriage, a bride and a groom say, I will forego all other, you know, for the bride, all other men, in my life because I'll give them all up. Right? I'll turn away from all of them because I choose this man and vice versa. Right? I have a cousin who was a lifelong smoker, but when he got grandchildren, he knew that he had to quit because you know, he didn't want to you know, give them any secondhand smoke. Right? But it was easy for that. I mean, all other efforts, all other attempts, right? were so difficult until, you know, he found something that he could love, right? That he needed to do that, right? And, and, and that, that's like, it, it, it really resonates, it should resonate with us, right? Um, you know, when you're in love, things like duty and obliga obligation and burden and, you know, um, escaping the corruption of whatever the other things are, right? Letting go of things, giving things up, it's, it, it becomes completely different because it's relational, because love is what is um, making it happen. Right? So again, the greatest part of this divine bestowal, this everything uh, to me, is that we can walk with God through everything. It can be mountain vistas, or it can be pandemic valleys. It can be when we're struggling with the world, or it can be when um, I'm adding, you know, uh, any of these virtuous qualities uh, to my personality. It is God who's there encouraging me every step, celebrating when I'm being productive for the kingdom until I finally break through into that eternal kingdom uh, of the sun, right? Uh, where the Godhead will be welcoming, welcoming me in. In a sense, this is just this heaven, this idea of you know the eternal kingdom, it's just a continuation, right? If we think about it again relationally, if we're experiencing what we're experiencing in the here and now, that will be perfected. That will be made glorious. It'll be special. But in kind, it should be similar to how we are living day by day, right? That is with God as the center of our lives. To me, that is the hardest spiritual growth, right? At least relationally speaking. Not growth per se, but growing closer to Jesus Christ. And that's why I think God has given us everything beforehand. And that is why we have to put forth utmost effort. Because it means that I'm drawing closer to the Lord. Right? These, you know, we talk about that I said next week, right? Add to your faith goodness. You know, those are byproducts of a closer walk with God. Even the productivity and the testing of our election and calling will emerge and emanate from an exciting and enduring relationship with God. All right, having tried to make the case that it is both everything and every effort because God wants to see us through the entire journey, 
join me in taking some time to examine ourselves. Have I given enough attention these days to my relationship with God? It's such a simple, even primitive point. We know it's all about knowing God and being known by Him. But we can lose sight of it. In terms of my opening remarks, why is it that uh, we think about spiritual growth as a burden, as something that I don't have time for or energy for, let alone making progress? Don't think of spiritual growth as something, yet another thing that we can't get to. Don't be results-oriented. Think about it as yeah, experiencing God, being close to God, loving Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for uh, this passage for us to uh, meditate on and to learn from. Um, in it, uh, we find, I think, your heart. If we look hard enough, we find your heart for us. Uh, that more than just getting us to a certain place, you want us to go there together with us. And for that, we're grateful. Help us to take those steps. Help us to look for you in those steps. In Christ's name we pray.